Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andre Degeler. Happy to be back to the show from a long break, which was in fact parental leave for me. And uh, I'm happy to report that my son is now seven weeks old and we are learning the ropes of newborn parenting as we go. So when I was not changing nappies and reading parenting books uh, over these weeks, I have enjoyed thoroughly listening to the episodes hosted by our founding editor, Robin Wouters, and huge thanks to him for covering for me through this time. Robin is now on vacation himself, I hope he's enjoying it, and I do hope as well that we will hear more of his voice on this show in the coming weeks. Now let's get down to business and talk about the news. Today we are going to discuss Nokia phones, Apple's antitrust roller coaster in Europe, TikTok in France, and the issues of European fintech startups. And later on we are also going to hear a Robin interviewing Kristina Kornilova from Latvia's Printful, uh, who also used to be the CEO of TechChill, which is one of our favorite European tech startup conferences. Now, let us first go through a few major tech news headlines across Europe over the past seven days. Of course, the big news of the week is the Finnish company HMD raising 230 million US dollars from the likes of Google, Qualcomm, and Nokia. Now, in case you've missed it, HMD is apparently Europe's last major phone maker and the company that has exclusively licensed Nokia's brands for smartphones and feature phones since 2016. So when you see a new Nokia phone these days, it is produced and sold by HMD. HMD and not by Nokia itself anymore. TechCrunch reports that so far HMD has shipped some 240 million Nokia devices worldwide. And the funding round of almost a quarter million of dollars looks like a gesture of approval in a way uh, for HMD from some of its main partners. Obviously Nokia has licensed the brand, as I just said, Google uh, powers uh, HMD's smartphones, which all run Android, and Qualcomm supplies some of the hardware that these smartphones run on. So. Big news, 230 million US dollars for HMD. Next up, Apple antitrust train is going full steam in the EU with new companies adding some fuel to the burner. Euractiv reports that Facebook and Microsoft added their voices to support the case opened against Apple back in June in the EU. Both companies now complain that Apple would not allow them to have their gaming platforms available through App Store. The initial investigation into Apple's practices was opened back in June, as I just said, but now it is, of course, a timely topic again, thanks to Epic Games, which which has just got into an open confrontation with Apple over its in-app payment policies and filed another lawsuit, but back in the United States. It's kind of hard to tell, of course, if either complainant can win their respective cases, in court that is, but it's already obvious that Apple will have to fight on a few antitrust fronts over the next few years and will have probably a hard time controlling the damage. And I'm not talking about financial damage, of course, Apple has lots of money in the bank, it can just uh, buy most of the companies that uh, are suing it, uh, but uh, the damage to Apple's brand, uh, which uh, was mentioned by a few journalists over this week, can be pretty high. Now, there is one more international company that faces a lot of scrutiny back in the US, but also here in Europe. China's ByteDance, the company behind uh, the social network TikTok, is looking at a new privacy investigation launched in France. As Bloomberg reports, and I quote, the French authority CNIL is looking at a number of issues, including how the company communicates with users and protection of children. The quote ends. This seems to be the third investigation into TikTok in Europe, as far as I understand. Uh, previously, the Netherlands and Denmark also announced similar probes, and all these investigations and the ones to come are coordinated by the EU's data protection authorities. 
Also, this past week we have seen a cluster of fintech news stories, and I, this is something I really wanted to take a closer look at and unpack them one by one for you. Number one, uh, Britain's largest neobank Revolut has just tripled its losses in 2019, the FT report. The company, however, I quote, said that it was on track to break even this year despite the impact of coronavirus, the quote ends. Martin Gilbert, Revolut chairman, said, I quote again, last year was really about putting a structure in place to expand the business, so costs will not grow at anything like that rate this year, the quote ends. Revolut reported a pre-tax loss of £107 million, which is a lot compared to £33 million in 2018. The deepening of these losses is largely attributed to expansion of the staff, and uh, the number of employees at Revolut more than tripled in 2019 and grew from namely 633 to 2,261. Uh, also, Revolut's revenue has increased significantly from £58 million to £163 million, so that's a good sign. But another interesting detail, uh, most of this revenue is attributed to purchases made by Revolut's clients using prepaid debit cards. And these debit cards are targeted, first of all, at travelers, at people who travel uh, between the UK in most cases and uh, uh, countries that use uh, euro as the, their currency or any other currency that is not uh, pound sterling, uh, because these cards offer good foreign exchange rates, un unlike the normal bank cards, and this is uh, the main selling point of Revolut to its customers. However, it's obvious that with the travel restrictions of this year due to the pandemic, uh, the revenues from those quotas could be decimated. The company, however, still expects to become profitable this year, that is on a monthly basis, thanks to new products like stock and cryptocurrency trading. I don't know, this doesn't really sound that reassuring to me, but uh, I'm wondering whether Revolut is actually going to become Europe's Robin Hood uh, with all its uh, benefits, but also its issues. Either way, let's wait another year and see how things pan out for the company. In the meantime, if you got thoughts on this one, do drop me a line at podcast at techeu or on Twitter at adegler and let us discuss what the future may be holding for Revolut and other fintechs. Now, let us move on to another challenger bank, and that is Finland-founded Holvi. And Holvi, if you don't know, uh, it's a, a neobank that focuses on the self-employed population, first of all. It is owned by the international financial group BBVA, which acquired the startup in 2016. So the news is that Holvi has made a decision to withdraw from the UK, which happens less than a year after it actually entered the UK. In a blog post, Hovi said that, I quote, coronavirus has disrupted market conditions and added a new layer of complexity. When you factor in the UK's uncertain regulatory landscape, the waters become even less clear, the quote ends. Hovi now is asking its customers to transfer their funds to alternative bank accounts before the end of October, and that is when the company plans to stop its UK operations altogether. I mean, of course, the UK is a very attractive market for a player like Holby, and just before recording this episode, I checked the stats, and in the UK, the self-employment rate is 15.1%, so one in uh, more or less uh, seven employed people are self-employed in the UK, which is a little bit higher than in Finland, which is the uh, startup's first market, and Finland is 13%, and uh, it's much higher than in Germany, which is apparently uh, Holby's largest market, and in Germany, the number is about 9%. But uh, the UK is also a highly competitive market. There are a few other companies doing similar things. And in addition to that, 
It is still an open question whether Hovi actually would have needed to secure a UK banking license if it were to stay in the country, because right now it operates uh, through a European banking license through passporting. Now, if you have been following the fintech news over the past months, this scenario may remind you of how another neobank, N26, withdrew from the UK back in February. Back then, the startup cited the Brexit-related regulatory uncertainty as the main reason for the decision. However, the media had also suggested that N26 had too little success in the UK and Brexit was just a good pretext to leave the country. Now, speaking of N26, here is the third fintech news story that I wanted to mention today. This challenger bank, that is based in Berlin, has entered a conflict with its own employees, who seem to be unhappy with their work life. Activist employees said in an open letter uh, published earlier that, I quote, trust and confidence in the management of N26 ensuring the well-being of the workforce as a whole is at an all-time low. The quote ends. According to a report by Finance Forward, some of the grievances of the employees include, and I quote again, a lack of transparency in salaries, high work pressure, and many fixed-term contracts. The quote ends. Since the beginning of August, N26 employees have been trying to form a what's called Works Council. So it's been two weeks now. And uh, I've just tried to figure out what a Works Council is. And simply speaking, a Works Council is a union, but a union that's only one company wide. So it does not have any political agenda. It does not work on national level to improve uh, any sort of conditions uh, for, the, um, for the workers, but it just uh, represents employees in negotiations with the management in the company. In addition to this, uh, this uh, works council is entitled to request information that may normally be kept secret from the staff. And that information includes, uh, for example, the financial situation at the company, future business plans, or payment comparisons between different genders or races within the company. That is per an explanation provided on the website of the fintech mutineers that's called worker26.com. Now, the management of N26, I have to say, did not like the Works Council idea at all, it seems, and it went out of its way to ruin the plans of the staff. The company filed injunctions against the employee gatherings uh, where the an electoral board of the Works Council was to be elected. At the same time, the management began to form an alternative employee representation board. However, the initial rebellious employees found a way around the injunctions by enlisting help of two German unions who ended up chairing the Works Council meetings. An interesting detail here, the second uh, meeting was also attended by the police. Uh, the cops had been called to one of the meetings to check whether the health and safety measures were adhered to, and uh, it's uh, told uh, by the reporters that the officers left satisfied with the results, however nobody knows who actually called the police in the first place. An N26 spokesperson told CNBC that it had no knowledge of anyone at the company calling police on workers. Anyway, now it seems like N26 will have a works council within a few weeks, no matter what the management thinks, and I am also very curious to see what comes out of it. So we're probably going to hear more on this story as it develops, uh, and I am very much looking forward to that. Now let's move on to the featured interview of the week and listen to Robin Wouters talking to Kristina Kornilova of Printful, the former CEO of the Tech Chill conference. <laughs> Hey, this is Robin Walters from Tech.eu, and I'm joined here remotely today by Christine Kornilova out of Latvia. Christine, welcome to the show. Uh, who are you and why are you here? Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me. I'm Christine Kornilova from Printful. I'm working with communication projects. So what's your background? Because people know you from, I guess, uh, another uh, Latvian venture. 
Yeah, the previous Latvian venture I was part of was TechChill, which is the main startup get-together in February in Riga. Back when we were still having physical events. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to the podcast. Um, You work for Printful now, which is a really, really big uh, Latvian-founded company that a lot of people don't know. So I'd love for you to sort of give me a, a quick history of the company and some background. Sure thing. Um, Printful was launched back in 2013. So not that long ago, our goal is to enable e-commerce entrepreneurs to sell customized products, such as clothing, accessories, as well as home and living items on their online stores. We are a white label company, which means usually the end customer wouldn't even know that we are part of it. Uh, So once someone buys a product from our customer store, we produce it on demand, we package it, we put it in cost, we put on the customer's logo, and we ship it directly to the end customer. And you you mentioned clothing, accessories, home and living. Like, how, what percentage is clothing from that? Is that the biggest chunk? Yeah, the clothing is the biggest chunk. We started with posters back in the day, but then we realized that on-demand T-shirt production is actually the biggest niche. And now it's the biggest part of our business. But currently we sell more than 240 different products. It includes anything from hats to leggings to socks, you name it. We can produce it on demand. (laughs) Right. So what I'm basically hearing is that anyone can set up an online store or storefront, um, whether, you know, using a website or on on, on social social platforms, sell whatever product and just let let you fulfill it in a way and distribute it and, and print it. Yeah. Is that correct? Do you take a commission on, on sales or how does that work in terms of the model? Exactly. Once our customers succeed and make the sale with the designs that they create, with the marketing efforts that, that they put in, we get a commission because we fulfill the order. Right. So starting in 2013, that means you're um, you know a little over seven years old. Uh, what's the size of the company today? The size of the company is currently more than 1,000 people. Uh, last year, we did uh, more than 116 million in revenue. Right. Are you a profitable company or, or are you um, venture funded or how does that work? The company has been profitable from the day one. We've never attracted external venture funding. That's quite impressive. So you're completely revenue driven. Does that mean that you probably won't ever raise venture funding or, or how do you see that playing out in the future? We are open to seeing what are the opportunities out there. We haven't publicly decided on that yet. All right. So so how's Printful doing in in you know, this crazy, crazy, crazy year. I'm guessing because online sales in general are booming that you also have sort of a love-hate relationship with COVID. Love-hate relationship is a very good way how to put it. It has been predicted that e-commerce in 2020 will grow two to three times more than expected. And our business is purely driven by e-commerce, which means if people are selling online more than usual, if they are avoiding brick and mortar, that means that our business is growing. But at the same time, We have to be fulfilling orders. We have to keep the business running while keeping our team safe. So that's the hate part. It's hard. Yeah, I can imagine it's it's hard for for a lot of these these companies. And also, you have you know you have your own warehouses and fulfillment centers. Um, So I'm guessing that was quite of a quite of a change for you in terms of operations as well. Exactly. We had to introduce a lot of extra safety precautions, like staggered shifts, extra cleaning even an option to work voluntarily when people didn't feel like they could be safe coming to work. Some of our facilities are located in LA, in Charlotte, in Barcelona, which means those locations, they have seen some challenges lately. And we have to adapt to that. 
I can imagine. Yeah. And are, do you think some of these measures are going to be permanent or is it just a temporary thing? We are following the guidelines that officials are suggesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. So you mentioned uh, you have a number of locations. Um, can you talk about where you actually have uh, centers? <laughs> yes, the official headquarters are in Charlotte, North Carolina. The company is also operational in LA and in Mexico. The European headquarters are in Riga, where we have big part of the office employees. Also, we have an op- a fulfillment center in Barcelona. And these are, these are your own properties, like you, you own the warehouses and you distribute uh, products from there. Exactly. And then this year, as we noticed that we have to become more distributed in our fulfillment center locations, we had decided to also start partnering with external fulfillment centers and manufacturers. So we launched a new partnership with two fulfillment centers in Australia earlier this year. And just today, we announced that we also have launched a new partnership with a fulfillment center in Japan. Yeah, great. And what, what, do you, what does the partner need to have for you to enter into an agreement with them? They have to be able to provide the quality and the amount of productional capacity that we require. Right. Uh, but the reason for it is because you want to sort of limit the time for shipping and also get closer to your customers who are, I'm guessing, globally. Exactly. Our customer base is global. And the closer we get to our end customer, the, the shorter the shipping time, the better price for the end customer. That means we can skip paying the import taxes on some occasions. We can just give a better experience for our uh, end customer. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk about what actually gets printed on the, those products of yours. What is it? Is it usually business-driven? Is it societal? Is it, is it very like uh, in-the-moment uh, type, type things like Black Lives Matter and, and, and stuff like that? Or, or, you know, when there's an election or, or a major news event? Like what is driving what gets printed on those products? So the biggest trends that influence what kind of products are delivered to the end customer are usually the product trends or the societal trends. So Black Lives Matter, women entrepreneurship, political campaigns, that is a big part of what people decide to print. But also it's product trends. Like for example, once COVID-19 became a thing, face coverings started to become highly trending on Google searches. We launched the product in just two days product called Negators, which means that you can cover your face with it. And that quickly became one of the top selling products in Printful's history. So if we look at it, it's a mix of trends. Yeah. Okay. Well, so Printful is um, not a, necessarily a Latvian company anymore because it's actually headquartered in the US, but the biggest office I, I understand is still in Riga. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the Latvian ecosystem because of your history with TechChill, of course, you have a pretty good uh, view of what's going on there. So for people who don't know, like what does the Latvian uh, startup ecosystem look like? So Latvian startup ecosystem is small, but very friendly and fast moving organism. And that was proven exactly as the COVID started. So yes, we had a textual conference earlier this year. It was a great get together, but pretty much a month later, COVID hit. We all were staying home. We were trying to understand what the future is going to hold. So there were several COVID-19 themed hackathons taking place. Companies like Cashbox that used to sell wireless microphones for events started producing face masks. 3D printing companies refocused on face shield manufacturing. We launched an app, Stop COVID, in collaboration with Ministry of Health to track if 
any of the COVID app users have been exposed or in, uh, to people who are infected. So basically, we approach it very technology-driven, and I'm, I'm just happy to be a small part of this Latvian ecosystem that really can adapt yeah. quickly with the times. And like I, I was, you were talking about events, so just to take the conversation back to Printful, is is that not like a huge part of your business? You know, catering to business events and then and, and company swag and you know even music festivals and other cultural activities are now being postponed and canceled left and right. Like, was that not like, like a big part of your business? So we have a part of our business that is focusing on on events and kind of bulk orders of fifty items or more. But this is not really the core of the business. That is really a tiny part. So we haven't really felt that huge of an impact from this. Um, the biggest impact has really been from the trends and from the change in the society. If people start shopping online more, that means we get or customers get more sales and we have more job, more orders to be fulfilled. Yeah. I can think of a, a, a ton of websites where you can sort of order the products that you deliver, uh, but because you're sort of on the, on the backend type of you know, the backend uh, side of things and then the white label uh, side of things. Like, what does a competitive landscape look like? How many companies in the world can actually do what you do at your scale? So currently, Printful is one of the leading in print-on-demand industry. There are several other competitors, but the main difference is the quality of the product that we offer versus the, the competitors. That is one of the priorities for us to make sure that the quality of the product always is outstanding. And that is why so many customers choose to work with us. Is that a huge driver? This is a genuine question. Like, do people really care about the quality as much as they do about the price? Because it's usually, you know, they want to get their margins if they're selling, but you also don't want to, you know, buy expensive t-shirts just, you know, with, with some, something printed on. Usually the... The most successful customers that we have, for example, Imori store that we recently did, a, did an article on, they are selling merchandise that is anime themed uh, for more than five years using Printful. And the community that they have built are people who buy once and then they buy again. So if they don't see the quality, if they don't believe in the product, they wouldn't come back. It means that Usually the biggest opportunity in e-commerce is the returning customers. And that's why the quality is so important. Got it. Okay. And so where do you actually source the materials from? Big part of our products are sourced from blank product manufacturers like Bella Canvas, Gildan, Avalon. Those are the companies that provide blank products that we buy and then we print on them. And then other part of the business is products that we make in-house in cut and saw manufacturing process. What does that mean? That means that we will source all the necessary ingredients to make, for example, a pair of leggings. We will cut them out on ourselves. We will print on them ourselves. And then we will sew them together ourselves. That means that we have the whole process in-house. Right. Can you, can you say proportionally what percentage of your material gets sourced and versus the, the ones that you actually create yourself? Like a rough, a rough sketch. The biggest part of the business still is direct-to-garment printing, which means that we will buy a ready-made T-shirt and we will print on them. Okay. The current style part of the business is rather for the customers that really want to take it to the next level and want to provide their customers really unique products. They usually are products like leggings, like bomber jackets, like sweatpants. The products are at leisure wear, I would call them. Right. Okay. Well... 
Thanks. I, like, there's a lot of this, about this industry that I actually didn't didn't know. Sometimes you just want to buy a T-shirt, but you don't really think about what goes on behind the scenes. So, what has been since you joined the company? What has been your biggest surprise in this uh, in this industry? Things that that you didn't know that you now learned. So, I've been with Printful for almost a year now, and the most exciting part of my job is actually running the sustainability internally which means that we have prioritized or corporate social responsibility as our priority ever since. I have learned a ton about how the business is actually happening internally and how it's happening globally. I have learned a lot about the challenges fashion industry currently is facing, the way how on-demand business model could actually be a solution to big problems that we face currently as a society. If we look at where majority of the clothes are bought at the moment, it's true fast fashion brands. And if you think about it, fast fashion companies would produce products in bulk, which means they will produce a ton of it. They hopefully will sell it. It's not going to last very long. And the other part that is not going to be sold is going to go straight to the landfill. The on-demand business model by default is actually way more sustainable because we only produce something once someone has paid for it and has voted with their money that they want it. I think that is the most exciting part of my job, figuring out how we can communicate that externally and also improve many, many processes internally to really become the solution of the fashion sustainability problem. Great. Well, Christine, thank you so much for sharing a bit of insights on the industry uh, and also more about Printful, which I think is a very, very impressive uh, success story for you know a very small country in Europe. Um, so that's, that's quite impressive. And I, I like following the progress of the company. So uh, thank you very much for the update. And uh, yeah, best of luck with uh, Printful. Thank you, Robin. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about Tech EU podcast and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at tech EU. Enjoy your week, take care, and I'm going to talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.